All right, so if you have your Bibles, please go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have your Bible, um, we're going to have the scripture on the screen. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. And it's going to be a lot of verses, so if you didn't do your Bible reading today, this might be it. 36, so it says this, Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face. Jesus fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. One time, second time here is number two, right? My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. That's the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So today we're starting a brand new series, and this, this series of messages is called Jesus Wins. Jesus Wins. And we're going to be going through four iconic moments in, that are building up into the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be looking at four uh, special moments in the life of Jesus. One is Gethsemane, which we just read. Then it's going to be Peter's denial. Then it's going to be the triumphal entry, and then the resurrections. Now, the resurrection. There's only one resurrection. Um, these stories may be pretty familiar to you. Like you may see, well, pastor, we've kind of already gone through these different moments. Like I've heard them before. Like I know what happens. I know about the resurrection. I know about Peter's denial. I know what happens in Gethsemane. So why, why aren't you bringing something new? But what I want to tell you is that when we talk about these moments, we're not going to be talking merely about its historicity. We're going to be talking about how they are relevant to your life. We're going to bring a different angle. So I want to encourage you to be in this whole message series because through this message, you're going to be, you're going to be able to discover not just what happened, but you're going to be able to understand a new aspect about Jesus, a new aspect about yourself, and also why you, why you are here on earth, what you are called to do. And so today we're starting with the first one, which is Gethsemane, Gethsemane. And I want to start off with a question. Have you ever known that you have to do something, but gone, you don't want to do it? Have you ever been in that moment where like, I know I have, like, I know I got to do this, but like, I don't want to. Have you ever been in that moment? It's confession time. I was in the fourth grade and I, I did something bad. And it was, maybe you say I've done a lot worse, but like I was in the fourth grade and I made up this huge lie. My brother had missed school that day and he was just home with like a cold or like the flu. And I made up this whole elaborate story of him. You know, he's, you know, he's got pneumonia and he's in the hospital and he's, you know, almost going to die. And I, I don't know why I did that. I think I had wanted attention. And so I kept saying these things. And the more questions they asked, the more the story got more intricate to the point where basically my brother was on, on, on his deathbed. And I, I was trapped. 
like I had everyone involved. I talked to everyone. Everyone was so worried. They were so concerned until obviously the principal called my parents' house. And my parents were like, no, he just got the flu. Like he's fine. And so let's just say when I got home, I wasn't very popular at my house. And my parents made me go the next day to apologize to the principal. That was a hard night. I, I did not want to do that. I kept thinking about it. I couldn't sleep. I'm like, man, I, I know I have to do this thing, but I don't want to. Then I went that morning, and I apologized to the principal. Have you ever, ha- have you ever been in that moment? There's another story in my life, too, where, where I, I, I knew I had to say something to somebody. I had, a, I had very clearly, like God was asking me to talk to this person, to tell this person a specific thing. I even had the words to say the, the things that I thought God asked me to tell this person. And I chickened out. I never did it. And so, has that ever happened to you? Have you, have you ever been there? You see, every Sunday we look at the Gethsemane scene up there. That's the moment in the life of Jesus that we just read about. And I, I, love, I love that stained glass window art because what it represents, to me at least, it's the humanity of Jesus. It represents the humanity of Jesus. Why does that represent the humanity of Jesus? Because Jesus knew that he had to do something, but he didn't want to do it. You see, Jesus came into the world to do many things. He healed, he preached, he ate, he slept, he confronted sin, he did all of these things, but he came into the world with one mission, and that mission was to give his life. We could say that the the whole history of the Bible and the scriptures that Jesus comes into the scene, it all, it all culminates, culminates into this climactic moment that we just read about and we see right there. In fact, some scholars believe that, that get, the Gethsemane moment what was the hardest part of Jesus' ministry, even harder than, than the nails that went through his body, even harder than, than the crown of thorns, even harder than, than the whipping and then the mocking and the public humiliation. It was Gethsemane. They, they, many will say that was very worse. The, the very worst moment was that moment. And the reason for that is because that, was a, that wasn't a physical battle. That was a spiritual battle that Jesus was having. Gethsemane, uh, maybe some of you guys know this, but Gethsemane, there's an actual physical location that was in Jerusalem, in the Mount of Olives, there was this, this place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane actually uh, is an is a olive press. Do you guys know that? That's what it is. It's, that, that's the instrument. It's, it's called Gethsemane. I think we have a picture of it right there. So that's, that's an olive press. That, that's Gethsemane. That's what that thing is, is called. And, and you press olives there. Um, and so what you do with that is you press the olive, you put the olives there, you press the olives, and then what comes out of there is, is olive oil. And olive oil has levels of purity. And the level of purity of the olive oil depends on the amount of pressure that you put on the olives. Luke chapter 22 talks about Jesus, he was, he was sweating drops of blood, he was, in a way, pouring himself out like a drink offering, like what, like what Paul says. Um, and he was, 
you guys have heard of this before, he was sweating drops of blood, which is an actual medical condition. It's a real condition called hematidrosis, which people suffer when they're on extreme stress, they're on death row. The skin gets really tender. The, the blood vessels begin to break and they begin to bleed. And, and the blood mixes with sweat. People go through this when they're under a lot of, a lot of stress. So the reason why I say that is because Jesus at Gethsemane was being crushed like olives being poured out like a drink offering. And there's actually three levels of purity when it comes to olive oil, back in the day at least. There was a low purity level, which was made for common uses, and it was, you know, the first level of pressure. And then there was a, a second level of pressure, which had um, kind of a mid, mid-range quality level that was made for, like, used for, like, food and, and that kind of stuff. And then there was the, the pressure Point number three. So what they would do is they, they would run that sort of rock wheel type thing and they would get level one and then they would clean it all out and put the same olives there and there was level number two. And then there was a third level, which was the highest level of purity. This they would use for ceremonies and for anointings and things like that. So let me ask you a question. How many times did Jesus pray? You guys remember? He didn't pray once. He didn't pray twice. He prayed three times. Why is this significant? Because the weight of the sins of the world were being crushed onto Jesus, just like that press onto the olives. And the reason for that is that through his sacrifice, he purified us from all of our sins at the highest level, taking away for us all of our impurities. You see the level of significance that that moment has. That's what Gethsemane is all about. And like I said before, the reason why I love this scene is because it displays the humanity of Jesus. Why does it display the humanity of Jesus? Because, man, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go to the cross. He says, Lord, please take this cup away from me. This wasn't a short prayer. Jesus prayed all night. This was a spiritual battle between his his flesh and his spirit. You could say between his humanity and his divinity. Which, what was at stake in this battle? Everything was at stake in this battle. Then he was ready to go to the cross after Gethsemane. Then he was ready to go to the cross. My question to you this morning is, have you been there? Have you you ever been in a situation where, where God is asking you to do something? And you don't want to do it. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Now, just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not talking this morning specifically about our battle with sin. Because we talk about our battle with sin a lot. And it's a real thing. I mean, Romans chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul talking about, man, I know what I have to do, but I can't do it. You know, there's this battle inside of me, which we all go through. It's the battle with, with sin. We know the right thing to do, but our flesh is telling us that we, you know, we should just do whatever we feel, and sometimes we obey, sometimes we don't. We're battling with sin, right? That's every day, and that doesn't end this side of eternity, by the way. But, but that's, not what I, that's not the focus that I want to give it today, What I want to talk about today is I want us to zero in a little bit more, not on behavior modification, which we talk about a lot and which is important to to be like Christ in the sense of being a a person who who sins as least as possible. We talk about that a lot, but that's not the focus today. 
You see, the, the, what's fascinating about the passion period in the life of, of Jesus is not just what he accomplished for us on the cross, but it's also, it's also an invitation for us to live the way that Jesus lived, not necessarily specifically or not just in the fact that he was sinless, but it's also an invitation to, listen to this, live like Jesus lived. Um, and that's what discipleship is. Matthew 28 talks about the fact that we are, as a church, called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. And, and I think many churches are focused on, on making converts rather than making disciples. There's a difference there. See, discipleship is our calling. And what does discipleship mean? Well, discipleship comes from the, the Greek methetes, and methetes is a follower. And this comes from rabbinic culture. This is kind of rabbinic language. And rabbis would have their disciples. And these disciples, some scholars say, they would do everything that the rabbi would do. In fact, they would even imitate the way that they would go to the bathroom. Like everything that they did, they wanted to be exactly like what the rabbis would do. It's a disciple. And that's, that's our calling as well. Not just to be converts. Not to say, hey, I received Jesus in my heart, get baptized, and then that's it. No, we're called to live like Jesus lived, not just in his sinlessness, but in the invitation to live his life like he lived his life. And just to be clear, we're called to make disciples. Not disciples of ourselves. By the way, this is kind of a side note. Not disciples of ourselves. Not disciples of our movement in particular. Not disciples of our angles on theology or uh, disciples of our denomination. But we are called to make disciples of, of Jesus. So we're called to, to make imitators, not of us, but imitators of, of Christ. And the reason why I say that is because we're not called to just follow Jesus, like I said before, in how he lived. In other words, be good, don't lie, don't get drunk, don't cuss, like don't do those things. Don't do them, right? But I believe that reducing what it means to be a disciple of Jesus to mere behavior modification is, is shortchanging the whole gospel. Because we, we, get, we get caught in that, and it's all about ourselves and being better and trying harder. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. We are invited to a much bigger story than that. I've been thinking about this a lot. We are invited into a much bigger story than just trying to be better Christians or sin less. See, I, I grew up believing that that the Christian life was all about just being saved and you hold on to your salvation, you know, and then you wait until Jesus comes back so he can rescue us from this evil world. That was it. That was the whole thing. But I'm more and more convinced that God is, is calling us to a much bigger story than that. He's inviting us into a life that is worth living. He's inviting us into, into a, a life that is bigger than ourselves, He's inviting us into, into a, a life that is, that is a purpose-driven life, like the book, right? I think that's why we love movies like, like Gladiator and Lord of the Rings and Marvel, the Marvel movies and Troy and Braveheart. I know I'm, I'm dating myself with these movies, but I just saw Maverick, like Top Gun, Maverick. And if you realize that those are good, it's good, right? I loved it, by the way. That, that's the, the great stories... Like those, the great stories that you see in movies, like if you notice, it's the same story. 
Over and over again, it's the same story. It's, it's a guy gets a calling. He feels unqualified. He or she feels unqualified. It's harder than he could have ever imagined. It may cost him everything, right? He faces some inner demons, and then he does it anyway. And then, and then humanity or the people around him or her benefit as a result of the person's sacrifice, which sometimes it even costs the person's life. It's the same story over and over again. You, you think through those stories, and the reason why those stories inspire us is because we see ourselves in them. This is the invitation of a, of a Christian life, by the way. It's that, it's that story. That's the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus is, is what we call an, an archetypal story, because it's the story of stories. And that's why it speaks to us so deeply when we read it. And we connect with this, like, oh, there's something that ignites inside of us when we, when we see the story, this, this big story. It, call, it sort of has a pull, like it calls us. Um, you see, Gethsemane is for us a reminder that when you and me, this is, this is what it is. Gethsemane, for us, is a reminder that when you and I came into this world we came into this world with a purpose. Like, let me just tell you this right now. God did not make a mistake when you were born. And here's the reason. God had a vision for your life when he created you. And there's a greater version of you. Heard a pastor once say, this may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but he's like, there is a hero inside everyone that is waiting to be awakened. Whew. That's like, man, that kind of like... I didn't write that, but it's like, it's, it's true. It's almost like, man, I'm, I'm living a, a lesser version of myself than I've been called to. There's a greater version of you. It's like, but here's the problem. The, the part of, let's say, the hero's journey that we love is the heroic aspect of it. The heroic, like, oh, I want to be that guy, right? Or that gal, But the price is what I want to talk about today. You see, the price is high. And most of us are unwilling to pay it. Because the life that we were created to live is on the other side of something really hard. It's impossible to reach anything that is worth anything without suffering. It's true in nature, it's true in relationships. And it's true in this search for meaning. The reason why most of us miss it and why you might miss it too is because we were not only created for a greater purpose, but also we tend to, we, we tend to try to avoid suffering at all costs. And so this becomes confusing because our instinct is to avoid suffering, right? Oh, I don't want to suffer. Like, Really? But the price of purpose is precisely the thing that we tend to avoid, namely suffering. We want a life that is comfortable. As soon as something is uncomfortable, we don't want it. Like, oh, this remote, man, the batteries. You mean I have to walk all the way to the TV? This is outrageous. We want to avoid suffering. If we have trouble with the slightest discomfort, how are we supposed to follow Jesus into our calling? See, I would argue that it is impossible to be a disciple of Jesus if your goal in life is comfort. 
Impossible. But here's where it gets interesting. Because you may say, the price of following Jesus is so high. Wait till the bill comes in the mail for living a purposeless life. Try paying that price. We think comfort is easier. Try looking back and realize you never fulfilled your calling. See if that feels easy. Problem is we don't see it. We seek comfort. And most people sacrificed what they want most. Listen to this. I wrote this and I'm really proud of it, by the way. This is pretty cool. I'm like, man, that's actually pretty good. I don't surprise myself like that many times. So anyway, you're going to be like, oh, really? How great is that? I shouldn't have said anything. I should have just went for it. But I really like this. <laughs> Listen to this. This is important. This is important to me. So important. By seeking comfort, listen to this, by seeking comfort, most people sacrifice what they want most on the altar of what they want now. And that is the essence of idolatry. What you want most is love, but you want, what, what, what you want now is sex. And so you sacrifice love on the altar of sex. What you want most is to be healthy. But what you want now is a donut. So will you sacrifice health on the altar of gluttony? What you want most is to be debt-free. But what you want now is a car or a new car, right? So you sacrifice financial freedom on the altar of materialism. And the list goes on and on. And finally, what you want most is a life of purpose. But what you want now is to take it easy. So you sacrifice a meaningful life on the altar of comfort. You see, you choose comfort or you choose purpose. You can't have both. Now, just to be clear, this is not a matter of salvation, okay? Salvation comes as a result of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. That's how we get salvation, but we receive purpose as a result of how we respond to our own personal Gethsemane moments. What's that going to be? You see, salvation is free, but a life of purpose will cost you. But a purposeless life will cost you more. You're not called to do what is easy. I'm not called to do what is easy. We are called to do what is meaningful. And a meaningful life will not be delivered to you and me on a silver platter. A life of meaning is what you will find on the other side of suffering. It's not a popular message, but this is the invitation of Gethsemane. You're like, I don't want to suffer, pastor. Don't preach that. Well, Jesus didn't want to do it either. That's why Jesus was, the, well, that's why the prayer of Jesus was so agonizing. You see, prayer is not what most people think. Most people think the prayer is, help me do this, help me with that, help me find a parking spot. You pray before a meal. All those things are great. But when you look at this moment, right, because basically for us, many times prayer is trying to get God to do our will. Like, oh, God, please do what I'm asking, right? But you see the Gethsemane prayer, and that prayer is actually backwards, 
It wasn't Jesus trying to get God to do his will, which that was kind of the first part, right? You know, take this cup away from me. It was Jesus trying to get himself to be willing to do the will of God. It's the backwards prayer. How often do you pray that prayer? Lord God, whatever you say, I will do. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do whatever you want. Like that, those are agonizing prayers because we all have great plans for our own lives. You see, Jesus knew God wanted him to do something hard. And Gethsemane was the crossroad, the decision point. And the same is true for you and me. You see, God is calling you and me to a life of significance. But it takes doing something hard. So the the invitation today is, is don't sacrifice a life of purpose on the altar of comfort. Um, some of you guys know that I, I made a quick trip to Chile this week, this past week. And the reason for that is I had to do a banking thing and I have to do it in person. You have to signature and then your thumb and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I went there and I was telling my wife about this. I think it was this morning or last night. I had to do something really hard. The banking thing was easy, but there was something that I had to do. I didn't want to do it. There was a person in my life that had hurt me. And I knew God wanted me to go and talk to this person and, and, and tell him why and explain to him why I had, I had distanced, distanced myself from him. I did not want to do it. It was hard. Like, I'm like, nah, I'll do it next year. I went and I did it. I won't share a lot of details because they're not relevant. But the reason why I share that is because I believe being a disciple consists of many Gethsemane moments. Over and over and over and over again. Moments in your life where you're, where you're saying, oh, Lord God, please take this cup away from me. <sighs> okay, but not, not my will. Not my will. Your will. Your will be done. The small, the small things in life. And over and over and over and over again. When you do the will of God, even when it's hard, you'll realize on the other side of that suffering, let's say, you're finding a life of purpose because now you're, you're in the will of God. You said yes to what he asked you. It was hard, but you're here. You made it through the suffering and like, I'm here, God. And then the will of God is starting to happen through you and you find a life of purpose. Not mere salvation. Like, oh, I'm saved, great. I'm going to heaven. Congratulations. Jesus did that for you. Awesome. But we are called to be the body, to be the feet, to be the hands of God. And we cannot do that if we're pursuing comfort as our main goal. There's no way. There's no way. God, please take this cup away from me. Where we continually shift our will to the will of the Father. So the invitation today is to quit sacrificing a life of purpose on the altar of comfort. I'm going to end with this. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling a little purposeless. Feeling a little like, yeah, I come to church and I love God and I believe in God and, and it's, it's good. It's good. But, but I like comfort. Mm. Hey, me too. I like being comfortable, Right? We want to be comfortable. Like it's one of the goals of kind of the American way is like be as comfortable as possible. Have you been embracing comfort? Have you been choosing 
your will over the will of the Father. And I don't know what that is for you, but it, I, I guarantee you it is something for everyone. Like if you pay attention, you're going to realize that you're in a Gethsemane moment right now. If you're paying attention, you will realize there's something that God is asking of you that is hard and you don't want to do. And so I want to, I want to invite you to think about that, to let yourself be in that moment. What is that for you? What is that for me? And what are you going to choose? Thank God for salvation. Jesus paid it all, but we're invited into this life that is, that is called a, a meaningful life or, or, or an abundant life. What is that for you? I'm going to do a series in the future called Great Stories of Regular People. And we're going to talk about some heroes in the Bible like Gideon, like Moses, like Paul, like David. And our assumption is that with these great heroes of the Bible, like, oh man, we got to be like them. Well, yes and no. No, because they were actually regular people, just like you and me. And God, the, the Bible makes that very clear. Um, but they were great in not the way that we think. These were regular people who traded a life of comfort for a life of purpose by continually shifting their will to the will of the Father. They were obedient to God, no matter the cost. So I believe we are all consistently, constantly in our own Gethsemane moments. So my, in my, my question to you today is, is, what is God calling you to do? What is that? What is that thing that you know is God's will but is hard? And most importantly, how will you respond Will you embrace comfort or will you embrace significance? Or will you once again sacrifice purpose on the altar of comfort? Choose significance. That's what Jesus chose and so should you and me. Let's pray together. So Lord God, we, we thank you so much because you not only sacrificed everything in order to purify us from every sin, but you also invite us to follow you, not just in your sinlessness, but also in your calling and your life of purpose. Look, God, I pray for every single person that's here today also those watching online, that you will allow us to, number one, identify what, what is that Gethsemane that we're in right now. And that you will allow us to walk into the struggle and to walk into this prayer that you, Jesus, showed us when we don't want to do it. And we come clean with you. Like, we don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And we come back. I don't want to do it. I know what it is, but I don't want to do it. And that little by little, you will allow us to shift us wanting to have, our, have you do our will and that we'll be able to shift and bring us to a moment where we will do your will because when we do that, God, that's when we're true disciples and we're walking in our purpose. We're walking in our calling. I pray that for every single one of us, Lord God, this morning. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.